we would continue our series on the Exodus by turning once again to Exodus in chapter 15. Continue our series in particular on Israel in the wilderness. The last time we noted the connection between the Old and New Testament and the Old and New Testament people. Also in this, with regard to the wilderness experience people of God, in Revelation 12, we noted that even after Jesus has come and he's risen and ascended to the right hand of God, the church has a place in the wilderness, a place prepared of God, and from which the devil himself would lodge her by spewing out a flood of lies and temptations in that wilderness to wrest Israel, now the church of the ascended Savior, from the presence and arms of God. And so as we consider the history of the wilderness wanderings of the people of the Old Testament, know that this is our story, it's our history. We are this people in the wilderness land on the way to the promised land, and there's no other way but through the wilderness. Let's read then with that New Testament light and perspective uh, Exodus chapter 15, once again the first events of the wilderness for Israel, Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Hear the word of God. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water, and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Thus far we read from this account of the beginning of Israel's wilderness wandering, as we call it. Let's call it wilderness pilgrimage. Do you remember, children too, do you remember the first miracle of Jesus in the New Testament? Three days after he was publicly ordained into the ministry, as we would say, and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, on the third day, he went to Cana of Galilee, and there he changed water into wine. The Bible makes an explicit statement here about that miracle, that it was the first or the principle of all the miracles that would come. I find here in this provision of God of his people Israel, miraculously, both at Marah and Elam, 
a, a kind of parallel to Jesus' first miracle in the New Testament. And whereas Jesus turned water into wine in the New Testament, I find here the miracle of God turning wine into water. That is, W-H-I-N-E, the murmuring of the people here, he turned into an occasion of providing water. So backwards parallelism, but nonetheless, there's something in my, in my opinion, uh, strikingly parable here, uh, parallel here to the miracles of Jesus at the first. In all of the miracles of God, and also the miracles of his provision in the wilderness, there is the glorification of his great name. And here the name of Jehovah who heals the waters, and we know this is in Jesus Christ. So that parable at the, a parallel at the least we can make. Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus also turns whining into water, into an occasion for the miracle of grace and the provision of water. So I want us to consider this miracle at Elam and also the provision of God at, or at Merah and at, and at Elam uh, because this is how God cares for us. And there's something here of these first two stops, this Marah, this Merah, and this Elam that is strikingly significant for the rest of God's care in the wilderness and it's for our learning. We want to learn in the wilderness just how God cares for us Here's a lesson from the Old Testament which we would take to heart, the Word of God. So into the wilderness shall we not go and revisit these things of the Old Testament for our own wilderness blessing? Let's do that. And so we want to consider Merah and Elam, the first two places. And first of all, how God provides covenantally for the people here. The big word covenant, it comes up. And then we want to learn here the great lesson of the need for trial. The need for trial. There's Marah there as well as Elam, but there's something about Marah that is very important for us to understand. And then finally, that this is all so that in the wilderness there's a place for us to worship God. No matter what we have, having God, we worship God. So the great provision Moses brings Israel from the Red Sea and they go out into the wilderness of Shur. And they are three days in the wilderness and they find no water. And I'm just going through the text here. They come to a place which wasn't named then Marah, but would become named Marah, but a place where they couldn't drink the water. And those waters were bitter. And that, children, means You'd, you'd go, ugh, when you tried to, to eat, drink them, and you'd spit it out. It wasn't potable or drinkable water. And so at this time, they complain, and uh, Moses cries out to the Lord. He doesn't complain. He prays, and the Lord shows him a tree, casts it into the water. The waters are made sweet. We, we, un, we know the story. And that, first of all, is the story of God caring for his people. And it's striking here, he, he is the one who does this. God does. There's no other help. And I don't believe, as many of the commentators seem to believe, either that God was using maybe his uh, Moses and Moses' no knowledge of bushcraft. 
to know maybe a, a sweet kind of a bush or tree that could be thrown into bitter waters to make them, to make them sweet. Uh, yes, Moses had been in the wilderness, and he learned something of the ways of the wilderness, but this isn't God using Moses' knowledge of natural things simply to tell him what he, he knew already of these things and just uh, do this. Nor is it God exercising bushcraft or his knowledge, his superior omni, omniscience of everything to, to provide here. At least we're not told that. God can use natural things and locusts and milk and honey and so on to provide for people. But we're just told that God provides here by giving Moses to know this tree and cast it into the water. He must have told him that, though we don't say, uh, see here that God told Moses to cast it into the water. But Moses did that, and there's the miracle of the provision of God. So God is showing himself God here, just as at the Red Sea, when he parted the river, the, the, the sea, and Israel itself went on dry land through it, and Pharaoh and his host were decimated and deluged by the water so that the water that was Israel's salvation became the grave of the enemies of the people of God. So God is providing here now. Not only does he save the people, he provides for the people that are saved. There's a lesson here of God. And he's providing for this people in a miraculous way, even as he provides in every other way, as we call in his ordinary providence, but here miraculously to show in a sign that he is their special provider. He is their health care provider, as it were, for he reveals himself here as the Lord who heals he reveals himself as the God who heals. And so this is what we know here. And um, we know that God is this great God. I am the Lord who heals you, verse 26. And this is what God is saying to this people. There's a revelation at Marah. Not just stuff given, namely water, but light given in this provision. This is always the way of God with his, his covenant people, his people who are his by his own love and fellowship. He gives them light. He teaches them even theology, theological light. He reveals himself in a new name here. I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah, the God of Israel, the unchangeable God who promises to be the God of those people of Israel, those sons of Abraham, is also a God who heals. And he's teaching here that always this doctor is in. He's always there. And he even makes house calls. What a great physician is this doctor. This is the metaphor that the Bible itself gives here. The Lord, our doctor, our healer, he is our great and saving and providing God. More, the Lord reveals here at this time that there is um, uh, this uh, calling of the people. 
At this time, he not only provides for two million plus people, men, women, and children, and a mixed multitude, but he provides not only for their bodies, but for their souls in making a statute and an ordinance for them in verse 25. He makes a statute there and an ordinance. And the statute and the ordinance, and they're one, they're a law, that's what this is, there's a law here, is that if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What God is doing there is anticipating what he's going to do in two months' time when they get to Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, to which they go in in the wilderness, is really the, the height of the revelation of God there as the God of the people of Israel. There they're given 613 laws. There they're given laws for society, laws for morality, laws with regard to God and how they should obey God, laws with regard to the neighbor, and especially... Are they given the law for the tabernacle and worship? This people of the law, this people of the law is blessed of God. And he blesses them with the promise, if they will keep these commandments, he will be their God forever. He will not, like the Egyptians, plague them with the plagues that he plagued the Egyptians with. And in a word, that's simply saying, you will be my people And I will not treat you as the Egyptians were treated, as not my people and worthy of my wrath. You will be my people. But obedience to God is something um, that is important, of course, absolutely important. If they show themselves not heeding the word of God, not diligently heeding the voice of God, not coming to church to hear God, carefully, but simply to put in the time and then to go home, if they don't do that, then they will be exposed to the wrath of God and the judgments of God. There's a threat here that God gives in this Old Testament, Old Covenant ordinance. But he's anticipating as God that this people will receive further revelation, but they need it now. They need it now. They need to know that though they've been delivered from Pharaoh and his grip, his iron grip and slavery, and though God has set them free from that, he's not set them free to do whatever they want. Following, as we would say theologically, justification, the free pardon of God, is sanctification, which is not only a gift, but a requirement. And so here God is dealing with his people as with no other, and this, beloved, is his providing. Now, he does this all at Marah. There's revelation there, and there's this statute, and there's also a test there. And this is the first of several times that word testing is used in the wilderness in verse 25. There he tested them. That, too, is the grace of God. He's trying the people. He's exercising their faith. He's giving them to know that he is their God and they should seek him. And they should not just seek water and bread and certainly not the things of Egypt. He is their God. Do you believe that? I'm going to test you. That's what he says. 
So God is revealing himself as, as God in this way. More on this uh, later. But then they come to Elam. Elam is a different place altogether. And it's, uh, people wonder just how far this is from the first place of Mara, but they, they come, they travel to, uh, for a while, and there's an altogether different place. There's 12 wells of water there. There's 70 palm trees, and so they're given this kind of paradise, this oasis, this place where there's no trial here, and there's also significantly no revelation of God here. But the people encamp there. They camp by the waters, and they get the impression that this was for a little while, at least a couple of weeks, because of the, the, uh, the things that are said in Exodus 16. So they're camped there. They enjoy that, but God is showing that he loves his people in this way too. Now let's put this all together for, uh, in this first point for just how God cares for us. God cares for us in making us his people. God cares for us in the hard things of life and in the good things of life. And, and all of this is because he, he expresses himself as the God who heals, the God who loves, the God who delivers in Jesus Christ. The New Testament people of God in the wilderness of this world is the people of God in Christ. That's who you are, beloved. Whatever wilderness you're going through, it's so that you might learn Christ. And this is exactly the purpose of these first two places. Learn Christ in the, the poverty, in the deprivation, in the, in the bitter experiences of life. And learn Christ in the, the good times of life. And if nothing else, we're taught that they're both a part of our life. There's Mara in the wilderness and there's Elam. And we shouldn't just say, well, it's all about marah and bitterness and so on. And we are suspect and we suspect situations where we're given to feast and to rejoice. And we wonder now what's around the corner. God gives us both. God gives us happy times as church. God gives us happy times as individuals and families. And God gives us maras as well. Receive them all from the living God and his hand. God is our God. And this, of course, to show off just how great Jesus is. God, who gives his son over to the cross, do you know what he gives to you? Everything. Good times and bad and ugly things and beautiful things and springtime and rain and sunshine and then the summer and then the fall and then the winter and living and dying and, and all the things of life he gives you freely for the sake of of his son. That's Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And then you skip down to verse 32. If he has not given us, if he has given us Christ, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Because he's given us Jesus. See, the God of redemption and the Passover and of Israel being led out of the bondage and slavery and guilt of Egypt is the God of our provision. And he's this complete God and Savior in Jesus Christ the Lord. This is why we are this Christian church. We preach the gospel of the Christ of God. 
He's provided in the wilderness. Later on, we'll see he's the manna. He's also the water. He's also why the bitter is made sweet. And he's our Elam. He is our 12 wells of water, and he is our 70 palm trees. And, and you cannot give anything more than God gives through the mediation of Jesus. But I wanted especially to focus on Mara. There's a reason why God gives Mara bitter places, bitter times to his people. We have to understand this and sort through this. And there's a reason why Elam and their encampment there is, is only limited in time because we learn often the best things at Marah, not at Elam. So the question is, why is there this Marah experience? Why didn't God, children, you ever think of this? And maybe young people, your, your thinkers are going when you're, you're, you're getting older and you think for yourself. Why is it that God says to Israel and Moses, uh, through Moses to Israel, this people is going to go to Marah. Not only that, three days before that, no water. Day one, no water. Day two, no water. Day three. And finally, they see wells in the distance or whatever, a well, and they taste it and, ugh, bitter, ah. And the people are led to cry out and complain and whine. Why? What is this? What shall we drink? And they're complaining to Moses and they're complaining to God. In three days, they forgot the song of Moses and Miriam. In three days, they forgot the great deliverance and the, the amazing overthrow of Pharaoh and his host. In three days, they forgot all the mighty miracles of God. And here they are thinking that they're just abandoned in the wilderness. And this murmuring, this complaining, verse 24, is the word that's used over and over again in the book of Exodus and Numbers. The people complain. And God is testing them, but ten times, Numbers says, they tested God. They put him to the test. They complain, they whine, they groan, they murmur, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know that, don't you? You know that, what that's about. So they're brought there into this Mara. And the question is, why? Why don't they just go to Elam? Why? And wouldn't it show off more the glories of God and his provision of Christ? And so nobody questioned it. If God's people had health and wealth and everything else you could use, and there's this church and it's thriving, and there's this people of God and, and um and people are drawn to this thing called Christianity by its successes. They have to go to Mara, and later on they go to Rephidim, and then they go to another place, and on and on. In the wilderness, they're going to these difficult spots in the wilderness. Well, why is that? 
Well, beloved, is to learn something of the cross of Calvary. The cross of Calvary. How do we get blessed? How are we blessed? Why is there this thing called the Exodus and then this provision of God in the wilderness for the people of the Exodus? It's all because of the Christ. You think about it, that tree, that tree has led many people to surmise that this is a type of the cross. You got a tree in earthly paradise, a tree of life. You got a tree in the heavenly paradise in Revelation, which bears fruit in every season, which is for the healing of the nations. Think, think salvation. And then you have the tree called Calvary, the cross. The bitter dregs of sin taken on himself by Jesus. Remember in the garden, Jesus spoke of the cup that he, he was trying to avoid, if we can say this reverently, trying to, to wrestle with this thing in his human nature which was impossible for him being very man and a weak man at that. He struggled with having to drink all of that bitter cup down. The bitter cup being having to take on sin and the wrath of God for it. There's something here when Moses cast the tree into the waters and the waters become sweet, of Moses calling upon God and God answering in Christ and teaching the people that this will be your healing. There's a tree to come. There's a tree to come. Far superior than the tree of life in the Old Testament is this tree of the New Testament of God's making the bittersweet in the son taking all of this on himself. And now the people of God in, in this trial as well, then they're, they're taught something of what it took to get them this far and how bad their sins were and how necessary it was that Jesus would be promised and that he be their life. But then there's something to God showing, showing Moses the tree in verse 25 and is then making a statute and an ordinance for them and testing them. This is all connected. The word for show in the Hebrew language is the same word from which we get the word Torah or law of God. There's something here that God is teaching the children of Israel by this tree and being shown it. They're being Torahed or instructed in the law through this tree. And then right away, there's a statute and an ordinance. Now the Jews even themselves linked the law of God and the tree of life together. And they based it on this passage in, uh, in, in Exodus 22, but also in Proverbs 3 and verse 18, length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor, verse 18, she is a tree of life, wisdom is, the wisdom of the law, to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. 
She, the law and the wisdom gained from the law, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Beloved, get to the gospel here. I'm trying to bring out the gospel here. There's this tree, and Israel is shown this tree, Moses is, and the tree becomes saving for them, and there's a statute and an ordinance for them that's given and attesting to see if they would keep the law and believe in God. And it's all so that they might be led from the law and through that revelation to the mediator. That's what they're being taught here. Through the law, Old Testament, Old Covenant. The law will be their schoolmaster to teach them of something higher, of the God who heals in this real tree of salvation, of this real thing called forgiveness and the lifting off of sins, even of those who are God's people. There's something here. Everything here of Jesus. The water that he gives, of course. The water of the Holy Spirit and his provision so that the people themselves are made to drink him in. Now that's what maras are for. Tough times. There is something that we're being taught in this very first provision of God in the backdrop of bitterness that's absolutely essential for us in order to progress in our sanctification, as it were, to taste and see that God is good in the bitternesses of life, in the wilderness of life. You notice it was three days they had to go in the wilderness without any water, and then they came to Marah. Some have coined the phrase that this three days journey was the distance of death. The distance of death. What do I mean by that? What does this person mean by that? I believe, beloved, he means this. It's the distance we have to go, the lengths that God has to lead us for three days, whatever that distance is, till we finally get what it is to be healed of God. Somehow... There's this death over there on Calvary, and you know that, we confess that, but somehow that death has to get to you so that you participate in this deadness to sin and you participate in the new life that he gives to the resurrection. Somehow the wilderness experience is so that we experience Christ, know him. And it's only through this trial It's only through this trial so that our faith, as James says, is is something that is worked and there's patience. And Peter says the same thing. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and trials when there are maras in your life. So that's why there is diseases from which we may be healed or may not in life. That's why there's hard times in some of our marriages. 
That's why the wife is different than you, man, and the, the man is different from you, woman, so that there's a kind of a conflict built into marriage, conflict, potential conflict for fallen sinners, and so that you have to work things out and go to the cross continually. That's it. That's why there's difficult children sometimes in our marriages. Even we say incorrigible and they go away and, and they're like prodigal sons or daughters. That's, that's why there's something here of Christ that God himself is teaching us. That's why we might find out we have some infirmity even as a young man or a young woman and, and that slows us down and it can be bitter because we had such hopes for ourselves we were going to be in the Olympics or we were going to play in Carnegie Hall and God took my voice away, God took my legs out from under me and I had to learn something of Jesus. That's why the Mara, the bitter waters of God's providence, and you never could find a mate, maybe, even though you wanted to. You never learned how to be content in this job. All these things. Not Elam. You note here, Elam is a place where everything's provided. It seems even covenantally, 12 wells, one for each tribe. Seventy palm trees, a sacred number. And we're not told 71 or 700,000, which we would have thought would be necessary for them to, to provide for all of these people and so they could encamp there by the waters. Just 12 and just 70. God somehow miraculously providing in his way for his people with just those amounts of wells and trees and God showing, I am your God. But no revelation there. Interesting. No new light. And it seems that they had to be pushed on their way from there. They journeyed from Elam uh, and they were encamped there by Elam. It's, it's almost the same, uh, it could be surmised, that had to happen at the Red Sea. In verse 22, when Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, we could translate that he caused Israel to be brought from the Red Sea as if they didn't want to budge. You can imagine the Red Sea. This was a, an, an amazing event here. Israel's victory, Pharaoh's demise, and celebration, and gold and silver and chariots, bodies of the Egyptians floating up on the water, and maybe the people lingering long there to take the booty. At Elam, it's all here. It's everything they want and over the way there in the wilderness of Shur, which is called a wall, a wall of mountains that doesn't look good. And are we ever going to find another place like Elam so laid out before us? But you'll notice they had to move on. They had to move on from the Red Sea and from Elam. They couldn't just stay there. Couldn't just stay there. In fact, it seems that all they learned at Elam, maybe, don't know, but wasn't good. Because 
They went then into the wilderness of sin, and then when they came there and they departed from the land of Egypt, quite a ways now, the whole congregation we find in Exodus 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, All that we died by the hand of the Lord in the lands of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So first... Bitter water, then they had water, now they're complaining that there's nothing to eat. Beloved, I want to suggest to you that Elam, therefore, was not all they needed, or even not the first thing they needed. They needed another Marah, and here another wilderness of sin, a trial, just like us. How worldly we are. And how, when things are going good, we say, things are going good. And I, I'm just going to tiptoe around here and make sure I don't disobey the law of God because then, then things won't go bad, and so we start bargaining with God. And things are going good in the family, in the church, and in my job, and there it is. I'm really enjoying this life. And God takes it all away, and he says, I don't want you to enjoy this life over much. And what I'm saying by this, what the whole Bible says is, we have to be content not just with stuff, and disappointed not when, just when the stuff is taken away, and elated when the stuff is given, but our joy and our life must be in God himself. And that's exactly what God made us to be, beloved. You understand that? It's significant that when Moses called to Pharaoh to let the people of God go, he said, let them go three days into the wilderness to worship God there. And we find them Instead, murmuring God there, murmuring against God. God had called them to worship. God called them to worship and showed them at Marah and then at Elam in their complacency there, and they're just camping out there, that they needed grace to worship and grace truly to be the people of God. And not just things outward, taken away or given, but a change of heart. So, the Egypt had to be taken out of the people who had been taken out of Egypt so they could worship God. And that's exactly why we need trials, to take the Egypt out of us, to give us to worship. Tonight we see in Psalm 63 really a... uh, reiteration of this entire sermon, this entire context, that the loving kindness of God is more than life to me. Well, this is what they're being taught here. It's not about things. It's not about external enemies and then external blessings. It's about God 
the God who heals the soul, and it's about fellowship and life with God so that our principal goal here is not just a land flowing with milk and honey by and by. It's so that we might worship God now. 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 Worship God. And that means being happy with God. Delighting in God and looking to Him who is the great God of our provision along every step of the way. Find that, beloved. Find that care of God in your life, even in the hard things. When you have to wait, when you think life has passed you by, look again at the Word of God. Look again at how God is good to you. And to me, people, the redeemed people of the Exodus, now in the wilderness, cared for all the way to glory. Amen. We pray, Father, you would bless us now. We've heard about Mara and Elam. We pray to take it to heart. Lord, we pray, turn our souls to you and make us worshipers of you. This is your goal for us. However long we're here, the goal is that now we worship and leave all with God as we leave our souls on the altar of devotion to God. Thanks for Jesus, Lord. He's the reason why the bitter is made sweet. And he's the reason why the elims and oases of this light, uh, of this life are are even precious to us as well because our joys in these good times are the good Lord Jesus and his blessings. We thank you, Father, for the oasis of church and that we could come together and hear reality and powerfully be preached to by the great preacher, Jesus, the great physician of our souls, the captain of our faith, and the one who will have all the preeminence. In his name we pray, amen.